Hey everybody, uh, it's Devin Gage. Uh, this is a you know interview that we're doing with Morgan Farrick, who's a registered dietitian specializing in uh, counseling women through peri and postmenopause regarding their nutrition. Um, the goal of this interview is to provide tools and resources towards our members at Gage Strength Training as well as Engage Personal Training. So, Morgan, thanks for coming on. No problem. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So, Morgan, tell me about your background. What qualifications do you have? Um, so I'm a registered dietitian. I've been working with clients in a bunch of different fields for the last 10 years. I started in clinical nutrition, then I moved to sports nutrition, and now I'm doing one-on-one -on -one counseling. So a vast majority of clients, whether it be somebody in the clinical care, meaning um, little grandmas who had broken hips who just needed a little bit of nutrition help to clients working with trainers who needed help and now working with clients through a, a variety of things, whether it's weight loss, uh, disease improvement, or just even weight gain. Cool. Yeah. And for anybody listening, um, there's a lot of, you know, nutritionists in the world. Being a registered dietitian is essentially the top tier of like the nutritional education pyramid um, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's the only uh, level of qualification that you can prescribe nutrition for curing disease and to go along with medical treatment. So a lot of our clients have things like type 2 diabetes and have been through chemo and have had cancer. So reg being a registered dietitian kind of arms you with the tools to actually diagnose or sorry, prescribe nutritional protocols for things like that. Am I right? Yeah, absolutely. We have to do, we go, obviously have a degree in nutrition and then we go through an internship in order to sit for our RD exam. So kind of getting the full spectrum before sitting for that, but you're totally right. We have that availability to talk about calories with clients and then just get a little bit more in detail with medical diagnosis. Cool. So yeah. I'll also, you know, just add, if anybody is listening that has been diagnosed with uh, some sort of metabolic disorder or has Anything going on that requires um, a real nutrition professional, I would refer Morgan Farrick or anybody at On Point Nutrition. They're based out of Philadelphia. They're all virtual, but um, they're a great company. So oh, thanks. Cool. <laughs> so uh, we work with a lot of peri and postmenopausal women at our gyms, and they all seem to be getting frustrated by the lack of progress that they see or the changes that they're going through. So why don't we start with what is happening in the body during this period for women? All right. That's a really great question. So menopause in general will show differently in women through all different stages of their lives. So some may experience menopause early in life where some may not show symptoms until much later. Um, and it doesn't, and it doesn't happen all at one time. So kind of knowing and, and hearing that menopause is a, called a change of life is important to realize. Um, and then as many women's bodies transition into menopause over the years, um, your symptoms will also vary. Some clients will have hot flashes. Some may not have any issues with that. Irregular periods start to happen. So it's generally this transition that happens again over a time. And the average uh, age for women who are going through menopause in the United States is 52. So kind of just kind of thinking about what menopause is. Um, 
why what's happening in our bodies is declining levels of estrogen and other sex hormones. They are altering how your body metabolizes, uh, metabolizes fats and carbohydrates. So that is something that can contribute to our weight gain. And it's important for us and generally just you and I or dietitians in general to help clients kind of learn how to focus on foods to help them metabolize them slowly and fully. Um, so studies will show that comparing weight change and diet patterns will, will change dependent on like their macronutrient breakdown, which we'll talk about, I'm sure, um, and then other specific diets. But for the most part, our hormones are changing and just driving our, our bodies into this whirlwind. So, you know, hormones changing, how does that make it harder to lose body fat and build muscle? What is, like, what's the mechanism that, okay, the hormones are changing, right? So how does that slow body fat loss and decrease, or make it harder to build muscle? Um, the way that our bodies are, the way those hormones affect our bodies are what we metabolize. So if our progesterone or estrogen are kind of like going in flip-flop direction, generally one of like one of them helps us lose weight and helps, and helps us like have our hunger hormones. And when they are going out of whack, that's kind of causing our body's metabolism to just not be sure what to do. Um, uh, is that like, it's a confusing way to answer it, but it's basically like the declined levels of estrogen is what's making it harder for our body to metabolize carbohydrates. So then that way we don't work, like we're not using them effectively which may contribute to the weight gain. Got it. So, you know, just to clarify, is there an actual, and I'm using the word mechanical um, reason why weight loss would stall, or is it more the hormones are changing, which change our hunger signals so that we may eat more without realizing, or, you know what I mean? You know what I'm trying to say? Is it yeah. more the body signaling increased hunger and we're eating more without realizing because we don't feel full or is it an actual, the body is just not burning calories as efficiently or it is storing body fat more purely mechanically? Uh, I think it's a combination of both. So okay. metabolism different, it's altered, but we have two hormones that are our hunger and our satiety hormones. And that's leptin and ghrelin. So your leptin is your satisfying hormone. Your ghrelin is your hunger hormone. Those are out of whack as well. So our hunger hormone is like super, super, our hormone, that's this one. Our ghrelin is like super, super increased and our leptin decreases. So we're hungry all the time and it takes more for us to get satisfied. So by changing your diet into the fact of like making sure meals are balanced, making sure we're getting the right nutrients, that this evens those out. So you feel that satisfaction without needing more food. So, and I, it's a really good point. Um, and just for anybody listening, if you ever do want to reference Gerlin and leptin, I always try to, I always remember it by Gerlin is like your tummy's growling and leptin is, it makes you want to eat less. So leptin less, Gerlin growling. Um, now, so with that being said, if, you know, somebody that was 52 years old, is postmenopausal versus a 42 year old who is not eats the ex they have the exact same body composition muscle mass they eat the exact same diet they have the exact same uh activity level would the 
and it's just in a lab, in a vacuum, no other factors, you know, would they still see the same results or would the postmenopausal women see less of a result purely because they're in, you know, the hormones have changed and the body's changed? I think it'll be just slower, but I think in the long-term results will be the same. Um, because like in the long run, calories will adjust a little bit more for somebody going through menopause. So you're, you need a, a little less. So if they're eating the exact same, probably the person who's older, like menopause client would see probably physical changes, but not feel it as much as the, the younger client. But over time, I think, yes, they would eventually see the same goal. But in, in the long run, there are some changes that do need to happen. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, and that's okay. that's a you know, that's unfair question because it's an impossible like scenario. <laughs> that's not fair. Um, so, and there's another thing that I'll that I'll kind of mention is a lot of the other side effects of so a, a lot of what we talk to clients is about. It's never just like a one for one thing. There's so many side effects that occur with these changes. So, your sleep is often disrupted. And that affects your ghrelin and leptin hormones as well. And that affects your energy level. So now you're going to be burning less calories because you're less active because you're more tired. You're like, there's so many things that happen outside of just the mechanical thing that make the mechanical thing worse or harder right. to control. Um, so that was a really good breakdown. I appreciate it. <laughs> no problem. Um, <laughs> You're so, right though. It is like, there's so many factors that, that make it a little harder too. So, you know, you mentioned, um, let's talk the, just the overall. So I mentioned the 52 year old versus the 40 year old. So you have the formula for total daily energy expenditure. How is it different post-menopausal versus pre-menopause? So just for anybody listening, total daily energy expenditure is your total calories burned in a day, combining your workout, your regular activity, your uh, your basal metabolic rate, and you know the, the thermic effect of food. How is it different? If they had the same exact intake, how is the out the output different? Um, I think I know, I think I'm going to answer this right and correct me if I'm wrong, but like overall, the difference is 200 calories less for the client going through menopause. Got it. So like in, in all in all, like research says, like aiming for about 200 calories less than your BMR and then the macronutrient breakdown is what really adjusts. So it may be a little bit different because your clients are going to be more um, like a little bit protein heavy in general, just because of their backgrounds. But we in general suggest like once we're going through menopause, we increase their protein to about 40% of their intake. We do 30% of their intake from carbohydrates and 30% from fat. So you're doing protein 40% carbs at, you said 30 mm -hmm. and then 30% fat. Yep. So do you have a sample um, just because a lot of people don't think in percentages, you know, if somebody was following a 2000 calorie diet, uh, no, let's, let's gear it towards, um, so you said 200 calories below your metabolic rate, correct? Yes. Mm -hmm. So let's say we have an in-body scan at our gym. Oh, I so, love those. <laughs> <good>. <laughs> so nice. <laughs> so it, it prints out, uh, we'll, we'll get a feel for, you know, an estimated basal metabolic rate. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So let's say a client, which I would say the average female client, it's going to come out to about 1600 calories. Mm-hmm. So would you say that 1400 as a base caloric intake is a good goal for people to shoot for? Um, I think, I think yes, like very generalized. Yes. Yeah. Um, generally, like one of the things we usually say is we don't recommend calories being less than 12 to 1400. So right. 1400 is on the very like rare occurrence, but I would say like, if you're, if the BMR is on that scale is showing 1600 because your clients are active, 1600 is probably still accurate. I wouldn't okay. go too much lower than that. So you would say 1600 calories would be kind of the recommended calories now, correct? Mm-hmm. And again, this is an imaginary person and, you know, taking everything out of medical, you know, ailments or whatever. Um, with 1600 calories, how would you break down the protein, carbs, and fat for that person? In macronutrients? Yes. Okay. Let me do some, because I did it. Uh, so there's 1600. So if they're doing 40% of their intake from protein, that'll be about 160 grams of protein. Okay. And then your carbohydrates would be 120 grams. And then your fat would be around 53 to 54 grams. Awesome. And can you explain how you get to those numbers? Yeah. So what you do is you divide um, 1,600 times 0.4 to get your 40%. And then because there are four grams of protein per, um, four calories per gram of protein, that gets you to your 100 and. I said 160. I changed. Yeah. <laughs> I deleted it. <laughs> to your yeah. 160. Um, and then same kind of goes for your carbs. So because it's 30%, that equals 120. So your carbohydrates are four calories per gram as well. And then your fat grams are nine calories per gram. So that just brings it down to the 53 to 54. So you would divide 1600 by 0.4. Mm-hmm. And then you would divide or multiply that it by four, by 0.4. Okay. You get 40%. It, but then you would take that, that whatever that calorie number is, and you divide that by four to get to the get total, to... because every gram of protein is four calories. Exactly. Perfect. So anybody listening, um, that's like the best, easiest way to explain it. Every gram of protein is four calories. Every gram of carb is four calories. And every gram of fat is nine calories. And that's where a lot of the low fat diet craze came from back in the nineties. Cause they're like, well, every gram of fat has so many calories that just get rid of all the fat and you're getting rid of a huge amount of calories, mm-hmm. you know, and obviously, you know, the best approach is a more balanced approach. Um, and can you explain why that is, especially for postmenopausal women having a more balanced approach where you're 40, 30, 30 versus keto or, you know, zero carb or something like that. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm glad you asked that. So this approach really just like, it emphasizes on a little bit higher protein, which is going to preserve your muscle mass. So as women, even once we hit the age of 30, our muscle mass and bones start to work against us. So we need to continue preserving that. So the higher protein does um, helps that and also helps encourage our body to use fat and carbohydrates as our energy source instead of stripping away our muscle. Um, especially at on point, but we're very um, like strongly suggestive against like 
very low calorie diets, eliminating any specific foods or eliminating any macros, most specifically because they're unsustainable. You have probably seen or heard clients who've done keto and they've lost 25 pounds. They started eating carbohydrates again and, and gained 50. It's because exactly what I just happened said their muscle mass is being used for their energy source when that calorie or that macronutrients eliminated. And then when it comes back, it comes back with a vengeance. Yeah. So let's touch on that because a lot of times, you know, people think emotionally um, and when they start gaining weight because they're in this postmenopausal phase and, you know, maybe their diet hasn't changed, their exercise routine hasn't changed, but their weight is increasing because mm-hmm. like you said, you're losing a little bit of muscle, your hormones are changing. So a lot of times we hear people that just go on these crazy diets and they crash diet and they're like, well, I just have to eat less now because that's the only thing that makes sense is eat less calories. I have to lose weight. Um, and they maybe do in the short term. What happens to the body when you follow a really, really low caloric diet? So let's say for that 1600 calorie person, they're following like an 1100 or 1200 calorie a day diet for three months. Their bodies will tell them that they need the food. So they'll end up like either feeling like they have a binge, then that leads to them feeling like they failed on their diet. Um, and then also kind of what happens is their metabolism slows down. So then their body's thinking that it's in starvation mode. So it's holding on to fat a little bit more and using muscle as their energy source, which is why they're seeing that weight loss. So I think like over that time, once they hit that like extended low calorie extreme, their body's just going to have enough of it and say, I need to eat. Otherwise I'm not going to, I'm not going to function the way that you want me to. Yeah. And is it fair to say that, you know, in that starvation mode period, the body kind of learns to function at a lower caloric level. So, you know, when you're eating 1100 calories for a long enough time, your body's going to start. So different processes in your body that are not life sustaining or absolutely necessary start to deteriorate. So we see a lot of women and really men whose hair starts to fall out. They feel cold all the time. Um, it, it's even like we, but like their energy is way lower. So they're not moving as much. That's your body essentially saying, okay, we only have so many, so much energy coming in. We can only function off of this. We have to shut some things down just to make mm-hmm. sure that those aren't burning extra calories. Now there was a big study done with the participants in the biggest loser. I'm sure you're aware oh. of this where they, because that's, you know, the show, the biggest loser, where it was the weight loss challenge. They had everybody losing weight as fast as possible. And they saw that metabolic decrease. And when they went off the show and went back to their probably regular diets before where maybe they were burning 2000 calories in a day. Now their body only burns a thousand. So their regular diets were compiling more fat and more calorie storage than ever. So they gained all that weight back and their metabolism never rebounded. They checked back six years later and the metabolism never rebounded. So these people really, really cause significant harm to their metabolisms. So (laughs) that's something we're like, I really hope people take that seriously. If your weight is going up, their response is not to like follow a really stupid low diet. Right. Yeah. It's not to stop eating because our bodies, they need food. Like that's, it's one of the things we talk about with our clients all the time. Like 
we've even done like almost reverse dieting for clients who have been so restrictive for so long, they have to teach their body those hunger hormones again. Cause I'm sure even those, the biggest loser clients, they've noticed like their, their body's com- completely been like de- derailed. So now they have to learn how to, how to build this back up, which is why we generally say like that balance it sustains your hunger. It makes you have long lasting energy and you have, you feel good all day long instead of like also having highs and lows of like, my energy is really amazing. And then I hit a wall and I need a nap at 2 PM because I, it wasn't a balanced enough meal too. Right. And I'll, I'll have, I have one more little, I guess you'd call it an analogy before I have another question to ask you. Um, So in cancer treatment, they don't say a treatment worked until you were five months cancer or five years cancer free. Right. So when it comes to dieting and when it comes to weight loss, a lot of people are very quick to acknowledge success about weight watchers or some keto diet or some thing that they tried because they lost 20 pounds, even if they gained it back once they finished the diet. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's, it's almost like, you know, claiming you're cured of cancer after you finish your treatment and it comes back a year later, they would never consider that a successful treatment. So when I mentioned earlier that people think emotionally, I I think bring that same level of thinking to your eating and the way you're eating. Because if you followed a diet and you lost 20 pounds, but you gained it all plus five, once you finish it, it didn't work. It wasn't successful. A successful diet is one that you can sustain and it doesn't feel like a diet, um, because a diet is something that you do. And when you do things, it leads to being done. Um, it has to be something that you feel like this is what I, this is who I am. This is the way that I eat versus this is a diet that I'm doing. So that's mm-hmm. my little rant I love that. Yeah. It's a really good, that's a really good way to explain it. Cause you're right. Like we talk with our clients and we say like, this isn't something like, maybe on points, not forever, but you're, you're going to have this nutrition way of eating or like it's this lifestyle forever. Our goal is to have you do something like this as part of your day to day. It's, it's habit building. It, and when I explain to clients some of the things I do, I, I always say like, I have done this for so long that it's part of my practice. It's like brushing your teeth. You don't right. start all over, or wait till Monday. If you forget to brush your teeth on Tuesday, you start back up the next day. So it's kind of, it's built right into you. Cool. Yeah. Now let's say, um, so those exact macros are really tough for somebody. Would you be really strong on those exact macros? Or would you say, as long as your protein and calories are here, the carbs and fats can be fluctuated or, you know, I, I, listen, I know it's completely individual to the person and their activity level. But what would you say to somebody that was like, it's really hard for me to eat that much fat or it's really hard to eat that much car- that many carbs? What would you say if, you know, let's say the protein and calories, they were hitting the 160 protein and their calories were good. What would you say to that? I think it'd be okay. It's hard. It's hard to say. Cause I think like if you're getting those, cal- I have clients who do that now and I ask them like how, what sources are they getting those calories from? Because if you're getting 106 or 1600 calories, you're hitting your protein through protein shakes and Snickers bars. I would probably suggest changing how to get to the calories. So it's more about like the nutrient composition is important mostly because like we want to be using your, getting the calories from the right sources. So 
thinking about like, are you getting enough fiber, making sure that that's something we work into the plan. So that's through fruits and vegetables or whole food carbohydrate sources. Um, but in, I, I almost want to say like in the long run, maybe it doesn't 100% matter, but the protein would definitely be something that I would say, like, try not to compromise for yeah. the sake of muscle maintenance. And that's, and that is a huge concern for women, really everybody after the age of 30, 40 years old, our muscle mass starts to deteriorate. We have sarcopenia and osteopenia. So our bone mineral density decreases, which leaves people very likely to break a bone if they fall, which, so they, there's a, there's kind of a scare, scare fact that I'll call like if people over 60 break their hip, they're mortality rate is like, they're likely to die within the next five years or something like there's a thing like that. And it's, I hate it because it's a scary statistic. Yeah. But I believe what it's really trying to say is the people who break bones when they fall, their lifestyles are probably not in line with something that's made for long, long life. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. It really is true. When your bone, if you are, over 50 and you break a bone, it can have a really serious effect on the rest of your life. It can decrease your activity level, which impacts your cardiovascular health and everything else is kind of a thing. So if anything, take resistance training as well as protein intake very seriously, the, you know, the older you get. Mm -hmm. And even something to note too. Um, so Postmenopausal women, because of the osteopenia and sarcopenia risk, it's also related to that decreased estrogen production. So um, during that time, their bodies don't digest um, dairy as consistently as somebody younger does. So um, making sure that we're increasing our calcium and our vitamin D sources to help maintain bone health is also extra important. So when you say they don't digest dairy as well, what does that mean? Um, I don't know the science behind it, actually, but I just, <laughs> what I've, re I've read when I was doing my research for this is just that like, we, the calcium absorption is just not there. Not so it. our body, I think because of the, the lower estrogen, generally that helps digest uh, calcium and vitamin D, but without that, it's not happening. So would you recommend, and the next question I actually had was, are there supplements, vitamins, protein supplements? anything that you would recommend for women that are peri and postmenopausal? Um, yes. So calcium and vitamin D are definitely big ones to recommend, uh, recommend. So vitamin D is one that we also suggest talking with your doctors about and making sure you're getting blood work done to see that you need vitamin D. Um, uh, from, from when I worked in the hospital, I think like I, I lived in the Northeast. So the sun and the winter generally were, were deficient in, in vitamin D, but sun exposure is your best source of that. But then making sure that your doctors say, because the recommendation does increase as we get older, making sure you get that checked to get the right amount. Um, but your non-supplement sources of it, fortified milk and fatty fish like salmon are really great ways to get vitamin D. Um, calcium is another one that's increasing. So one of the studies I found or um, information that I found said that your um, recommended daily allowance goes up to 1200 milligrams a day. So it's really spiking as we get older. Um, mm -hmm. And then that can be challenging as well, because again, our body's not, we're not going towards those sources so as often, or we hear like, 
you're going through menopause, avoid calcium and dairy or avoid dairy. So we generally say like dairy is a really great source of both calcium and vitamin D, but so is um, fortified plant beverages. If you do do uh, dairy-free broccoli and then tofu is another good source. So we recommend like three or more calcium rich foods um, in your week. Are there calcium um, supplements that people could take? There, there are. The pills are, are kind of huge, but they're, <laughs> they, um, I take them myself, but they're like, they're honestly like this big. Oh, wow. um, they're kind of big, but you can take them. Like that's something where vitamin D is a little bit more, you want to make sure you have somebody suggest it first because it's a fat soluble vitamin. So we can overdo it. Calcium is one where our body can, if we have enough of it, we kind of excrete it. So if you find a calcium pill, you can add those in. Um, so, and then, oh, go ahead. Sorry to stop you. Um, for anybody listening, can you explain a fat soluble, the effects of a fat soluble versus something that you can, I guess, water soluble is the other? Yeah. How is that so the, different in terms of absorption? The So our fat soluble vitamins are A, D, E, and K. And it basically just means that our body can only tolerate so much of them. Um, your water soluble vitamins, so all of your B vitamins and your vitamin C, our body can have, it can absorb it a little bit faster. So it's, um, if you, if we have too much of it, our body will just say like, this is great. I've had enough. And then we can excrete it. Whereas if we have too much of the fat soluble, our body will hold on to it and it can, we can like become overdosed on it. But again, like those levels are a little high. So it's yeah. not something you have to be afraid of. Okay. Good to know. Um, any other supplements that you would recommend? So our approach with supplements has always been you're supplementing what you're not getting from a whole foods diet. So if you are trying your hardest, but you just cannot eat another piece of chicken or eggs to get your protein in a protein supplement may be effective. Um, you know, in all of that, you know, so yeah. what other supplements would you recommend? Um, I'm, I'm glad that's your guys' approach. Cause that's generally how we do it too. The only other thing that I would say, like a protein powder would be totally fine. Especially like you said, if you can't get enough chicken or you can't have another piece of meat. Um, but one of the other ones that's beneficial for, for other side effects of menopause. So omega-3 fatty acids or your fish oil supplement, this is helpful because it's shown improved menopause related depression. It's helped improved um, hot flashes and then shows reduction of night sweats. Um, I'm also a big component of omega-3s because of their anti-inflammation aspect. So they've been really helpful. So again, like food sources of that are salmon, tuna, and sardines. And then in the non-fish world, your seeds. So flax seed, chia, and hemp seeds are really great sources of omega-3s. Awesome. Yeah. Um you know, in another interview that I did, they had a recommendation of creatine. What are your thoughts on creatine? Um, I don't know as much about creatine. I've never really done much like protein supplement recommendations. Okay. If I've, We've had a discussion as a team before with OnPoint where if you're just starting out, it can be beneficial, but I don't know as much about it to, okay. to give a true answer. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Um, so you mentioned, you've mentioned hot flashes and some of the other symptoms that come with, you know, this postmenopausal time. Um, are there any dietary approaches towards hot flashes and um, anything else that's happening in the body? Um, 
So this is a, a loaded question, but the answer is yes. <laughs> um, so there's foods that like you'll see that are considered to avoid because of the increased risk for hot flashes or blood sugar rising. So what, like when you think of a hot flash, basically what it is is your body's blood sugar is rapidly increasing and your body becomes flush. So um, this is happening because of your hypothalamus. So your body temperature is just really just going through the roof and making you extremely warm. Um, and that's where like our skin gets flushed and our body kind of starts sweating. So um, that's one of the things that notices. So you'll notice that like, or your clients will, will really see that this will be somebody who me and my best friend who are the exact same age, same body composition. I can have a glass of wine and have no hot flash before bed. She can have the same glass of wine and feel like trash. So um, it's like alcohol and caffeine are generally one of those things that says like, you don't have to fully eliminate it unless it causes a problem for you. So if again, my friend cannot have alcohol or caffeine before going to bed and I can, it's something that I can continue. But the biggest way to know if, if those two, so alcohol and caffeine, the biggest way to notice if they have uh, an effect on your hot flashes would be through a trial of elimination. Um, kind of on that same line, um, processed foods and sugar. So because menopause has an effect on our insulin resistance, so the way that our body is going to react to sugar and metabolic syndrome, being extra mindful of how much sugar we're having and making sure we're not adding any additional fuel to the fire. Um, so generally we say a good recommendation is aiming for about 50 grams of added sugar daily or less. Um, what I generally help clients with is like, if you're looking at a nutrition label and the added sugar says 10 or less, you're good to go. So that's like a Greek yogurt. And if it has a fruit on the bottom, it's going to have a little bit of sugar. But, um, if it's something that has like 15 grams of added sugar, being a little bit more mindful of that. Um, the other two that are on the list, again, um, dependent on your clients and how you're, how you, uh, affect your body is affected by it, but spicy foods is another one. So it's a potential risk for um, worsened hot flashes. But again, eliminate it, see if you have a problem, try it, no problem, you can keep it in your diet. And then um, the final one that we generally say like to be more mindful of is excess sodium. Um, this is mostly because again, our decreased insulin or our decreased estrogen increases the risk for higher blood pressure. So wanna making sure that we're having, we're being mindful of that. And then high salt intakes may also lead to lower bone density. So making sure it's kind of that same line, like processed foods, making sure you're checking the sodium level or just not always adding salt if you're cooking, like at the dinner table. So what can they eat? What would you recommend? You know, <laughs> Everything. Design like the perfect, you know, let's say you, designed for, you know, a generic 175 pound female, what would a typical day, not new, not macros or anything, but what would like the ideal day look like? Like a typical breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Yeah. And maybe throw in a snack there. <laughs> oh, I love adding snacks in. So your typical breakfast would probably be like, honestly, like a whole grain English muffin with two hard boiled or two scrambled eggs or eggs in your preference. So whole, whole eggs, two whole eggs. I am, we are team yolk um, yeah. because it's healthy fat. So in that sense, you're getting 
carbohydrates from your English muffin, you're getting protein from your eggs. If you wanted to add a little bit of fat into that meal, you can do a little bit of butter or you can put guacamole or avocado on top of it and make it a fancy breakfast. Um, your lunch, I would generally say like, honestly, your basic answer is like brown rice with broccoli and a piece of chicken because it's well balanced. You're getting all your macros and we really want to emphasize fruits and vegetables in that case. And then dinner would be something similar, maybe a piece of salmon with um, maybe some lentils, or you can even do like a pasta dish that's a whole grain or the chickpea-based pastas or bean-based pastas that are out there now, um, mostly because they will pro provide a little bit more fiber. So you're getting more bang for your buck with the more quality pr um, pr proteins and uh, carbohydrates. And then honestly, just adding vegetable, like add a side salad if you're doing a pasta dish. So let's say you do shrimp and zucchini spaghetti, have a side salad on the uh, along with it to give yourself some extra vegetables and some fat from your dressing. And then a great snack would be a Greek yogurt with granola and fruit on top. Awesome. Yeah. Um, do you have, I mean, you mentioned like really prioritizing vegetables. Is that for the satiety effect? And it's because it's low calorie and it makes you feel full? So fair to say? For, the, yeah, for the most part, I think like in the, in the way that I like to think about fruits and veggies, and I say to a lot of my clients in, in our in our sessions is I love eating and I love volume when I'm eating and veggies are there for that. They you can have if you ever measure out what a true serving of vegetables is. So six ounces if you're eating raw veggies or four ounces if you're eating cooked, if you actually measure that out. It's about half of your plate, if not more. And you'll yeah. put it on and be, and I even put it on and I'm surprised and I'll be like, there's no way I can eat all of this. But in the long run, I do. And I'm like, oh, I feel very satisfied walking away from the meal. I don't feel like I've overdone it on carbs and not walking away from the meal feeling sleepy. So it gives you a variety of micronutrients as well. So you're getting all these other vitamins and minerals that are going to be beneficial and that fiber factor to help you feel that, that long-term satiety. Um, and then same thing with your fruits. They're there to, they do provide a little bit of sweetness, but then they, they give you that boost of energy if you need it in the middle of the afternoon. Awesome. Yeah. So just to kind of put a bow on this whole thing, if you could give like your top three recommendations for postmenopausal women that wanted to lose body fat and, you know, what, you know, the word everyone uses is tone, um, tone their bodies. What are like the top three things that you would want them to focus on? My top three. Um, I think protein's definitely number one. So prioritizing your protein intake to just make sure you're feeling satisfied, you're managing your blood sugar levels. Um, Remind us the number. So 40% of your daily intake. Is there yeah. another way to do that versus percentages if people like on the go can't seem to wrap their, you know, figure out the, the calculation? Yeah. Um, yeah, is there another way or way for them to really easily find that number? Yep. So a good goal would be one to one point two grams per kilogram of body weight. So to do that, you would take your weight in pounds, divide by two point two, mm -hmm, to make it in kilograms. And it's essentially one gram per kilogram of that. Yep. Cool. Awesome. Yeah, that's the easiest way. Like that would be my best, like the easiest way to convert it versus the, the percentage. So point number one, recommendation number one, higher protein, 
essentially aiming for one gram per kilogram of body weight. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, the second that I have, I mean, it's kind of different, but it's honestly like it's a generalized like be patient with yourself because it's a journey, right? Like this isn't going to happen. Your menopause isn't going to happen overnight. These changes aren't going to happen overnight. So kind of being gracious with the changes that are happening and as easy as it is to say and impossible to physically do, like don't stress about it (laughs) because that will make it a little bit tougher, but like know that this is going to be a long lasting journey and the the success will happen. Um, And then food wise, I would say like, honestly, the more variety that you have in your diet, the better. So don't, don't be stuck in a, a corner of having the same foods over and over again um, mostly because you'll get that variety of nutrients, which in the long run will help your body feel its absolute best. Yeah. Awesome. And the, <laughs> your second point in terms of like not stressing, um, and I mentioned earlier, there's, there's always like a, there's side effects to everything that we do. There's a psychological effect. Our minds can play tricks on us. So one of the things that, um, I teach to our clients is there's this, there's this kind of like guilt shame cycle where, you know, let's say you're, you're, you know, I'm using the word dieting just because it's the easiest word. Mm-hmm. Let's say you're dieting for a while and following a meal plan and you eat off track, you go out to a party and you drink too much or you eat too much and that happens. And then you feel really guilty about that the next day. If you feel guilt, your brain starts searching for ways to feel better. And if you are somebody that wants to lose weight, a lot of times it's because you use food in social things or there's comfort foods. So when your brain starts to feel bad and guilt and shame, it starts to say, what's going to make me feel better? And a lot of times our brains say, well, if I have some comfort food, it'll make me feel better. And then you start this cycle of guilt, search for your brain, search for what's going to make me happy. I'm going to eat. And it's just this cycle that you get stuck in. The thing is, if you remove the guilt, you have nothing to remedy and you can remind yourself, well, I ate off track. My next decision puts me right back on track. And that's what I tell all of our clients. You are always one step away from back on track. Mm -hmm. The next meal, the next bite of food can put you exactly where you were right before that. And there's no need to feel guilt or shame and feeling guilt and shame is probably what's going to make the whole thing worse because you're going to continue that cycle. That's really good advice. I I think that's like something that we practice with clients all the time is if you're going to a party too, if you're in this, this vicious cycling of diet, like you'll notice like you can't enjoy the party and then those feelings instantly come up and then you're not even enjoying yourself. So we teach clients like, go and enjoy the party because one meal is not going to set you back. You're, you're never going to be perfect. It's always something where you think like, if you're on track 80% of the time, you'll see success. And that 20% is there for you to live your life, go to a party every once in a while and, and enjoy events like that. So I think that's awesome to think about. Cool. And I, I think it's also important to keep in mind, um, enjoy yourself at events like that, but don't turn it into the entire day. Because right. you can, you know, that can kind of negate a lot of like the caloric deficit that you've created. And again, it can start to get out of hand quickly. Mm-hmm. Like Thanksgiving. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, 
Anything else, Morgan, that you think is important for our clients? I think we covered all of the things I would I would say. So I, like I said, like really variety, focusing on whole foods, focusing on protein and being gracious during this entire change is, is going to take your clients in a really far way. Cool. Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, how can somebody reach you if they did want to you know, connect with you and work with you? Um, they can find us through On Point Nutrition. So we have um, Instagram. We have a website. So you can always, I can um, send it to you in an email and they yeah. can have that access. Um, Instagram's probably the easiest because you can just click in and then grab a console. But um, I'll send you the information for links to our website as well. Perfect. Thank awesome. you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks. See ya.